Well, today is part two of our series called Next Level Love, where we're helping you that are single to not continue to date jerks, right? And actually find a, a love that's going to last you for a lifetime. And for those of you that are married, what we're trying to do throughout this series is help you to enjoy your marriage and actually make sure it is something that lasts until death do you part. Now, I mentioned last week as we began the series that there's two primary resources that we're using for the series. The first and the foremost is always the Word of God. We always have to see what does God say about any subject that we're facing in life, including dating and our marriages. And so there's a key verse that we're looking at here to see how God says to take our relationships to the next level. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And the Apostle Paul, he writes this, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same what? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so what we talked about last week is, look, we have got to have the mind of Jesus when it comes to dating. We have to have the mind of Jesus when it comes to our marriages. We can't do things our way anymore. We have to take on his mind. Now, this verse applies to all relationships. He isn't just talking about romantic relationships here, but that's what we're focusing on in this series. And so we've got to see what does God have to say about these things? Because if we're just looking at like Twitter and TikTok and what's on the TV, our relationships are going to fall apart. But if we start to do them the way that God says, that's going to take it then to that next level. Now, three verses after Paul says this, to, to go ahead and have the mindset of Christ Jesus, he gives us sort of a little bit of what that would look like. What's one practical thing that we could do? And so look at Philippians 2, verse 8. Paul writes, Jesus was humble. He obeyed God even to the point of dying on a cross. And so if we're going to have the same mindset as Jesus, we're going to have to learn to be like Jesus, to have a, a sacrificial humility. Let's say that together, sacrificial humility. What does, what does that mean? Well, it means that you've got to humble yourself and say, you know what? I'm not going to date anymore the way that I want to date. I'm going to sacrifice my own thoughts. I'm going to take on the mindset of Jesus so that I can have better dating relationships. And for those of you that are married, sacrificial humility. Humble yourself and go, you know what? It isn't about me. It's about my spouse. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to sacrifice for them. And I'm not going to think anymore about how I want marriage to work. I'm going to look to see what does Jesus say about this? What does the Word of God say about this? And that then is what I'm going to apply to my marriage. That's sacrificial humility. So again, the first and foremost resource that we're looking at is the Word of God. Now, the second resource then that we're looking at is from a guy by the name of Dr. John Van Epp. And I shared with you that he's been a Christian psychologist and, and a researcher for over 20 years now. He does Christian counseling as well. And what he does is he takes the Word of God and his study of that, and then his study of science and relationships and all the things that he was trained in, and he combines those things together to see, okay, what does a godly relationship look like from just even the, the physical and biological and emotional level. And so what he came up with is this thing here, we looked at it last week, called the RAM, relational or relationship attachment model. I did like Bill there. I never can remember the word attachment either, but I said relational and I did that last week as well. It's the relationship attachment model, all right? It's called the RAM and there's five parts. What Dr. Van Epp has done with this is he's discovered that there's five key things that bond a relationship together. Emotionally, how do you get bonded together with somebody else? Here's the five things. We looked at it last week. First of all, you get to know somebody, you trust them, you rely on them, you commit to them, and then there's appropriate touch of some sort. Five things there. Now, as I've mentioned to you, 
this isn't just about romantic relationships. This is every relationship in life. This is how you emotionally get bonded to somebody. So if you're like meeting somebody and they're going to become a friend or you're at work and, and there's a potential new business partnership, what are you going to do? First of all, you get to know them. Then you see, can I trust this person? Can I rely on them? Should I commit to them? And then there's appropriate touch of whatever sort. But again, what we're doing in this series is we're looking at this ram through the, 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 the lens of dating and marriage. And so last week, I shared with you that singles, this right here, this is the progression that God gives for what dating should look like. But what we discovered is this. If we think of these as like sliders, a lot of singles, they go right from I know you to, hey, let's have sex together. Right? Isn't that what our world does? Isn't that the mindset of our world? Go right from no to touch, and then all of a sudden we go, why aren't my relationships working out for me? Why do I keep ending up dating jerks? Well, it's because you skipped these three middle steps here. It's important that we do these things in the proper order. Think of it this way. It's sort of like mountain climbing. If you're out and you're, you're rock climbing, before you reach up for a new handhold, you always make sure that you have a good, strong foothold first. It's only once you've secured that then that you go to the next level. And it's the same way here, singles. Before you go right to touch, you have got to make sure that, oh, first of all, I really know this person. Then can I trust them? Then the next stronghold or the, uh, the next uh, you know, foothold, can I rely on them? Can I commit to them? Another foothold. Then you get to the touch. And so that's what it should look like, is one step at a time. This is the progression that you should be going through. Now, for those of you that are married, what we talked about is that when it comes to these things, you've got to find some balance. The goal isn't to get everything at a 10. The goal is to have balance. Because even if you got everything to a 10, it's quickly going to get out of balance. Why? Because life changes. You have an aging parent. Maybe something happens at your work. Maybe you have something happening financially. Maybe you have something happening with your kids. There's all kinds of things that make this week look different than last week. And this month look different than last month. And this year look different than last year. And so these things are constantly getting out of balance. And so we got to work to keep them in, in balance. And that's why as we started last week with this word no... This is so important. You have got to really know your spouse. You've got to communicate with your spouse what's going on in their life. How are they processing right now all these changes that are happening in our lives? And so you've got to constantly communicate, 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 communicate. So last week was all about no. This week, I want to talk to you about this word, trust. I want to talk to you about trust. Now, if you missed, by the way, last week, go to our website, exponential.church, or go to our Facebook page, or, or our YouTube channel, catch up on this, because you're going to want to know each one of these five steps. So we talked about no last week. This week, we're talking about trust. Did you know that 241 times in the New Testament alone, we are told to trust? That's a lot. So this word trust is a very biblical word. And it's not a thing of that we're just to trust in God, but we're also be, to be learning how to grow in our trust for other people as well. 
But let, let's get this out of the way up front. How many of you would agree there is a huge difference between knowing somebody and trusting someone? Would you agree with that? Those of you online, would you agree with that? Huge difference between knowing and trusting. Trust is something that needs to be earned. You can know somebody instantly. But trusting, that takes a little bit of time. Webster's Dictionary defines trust this way. It's an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. It's a dependence on someone for the future. Now, if I had to summarize all that with just one word, I'd say it's confidence. It's a confidence that you have in someone that they're going to come through for you. But when it comes to building trust in our relationships, there's more than just what Webster talks about here because there's something that we do that we add sort of to the equation. I put it on your outline. Trust doesn't come just from what I know about someone, but rather what I decide to think about what I know about someone. Let me say that again. Let that sink in for a second. Trust doesn't come just from what I know about someone, but rather what I decide to think about what I know about someone. Now, Dr. Van Epp, he calls this your trust picture. That you have this picture in your mind of, of what you are trusting. Let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. Imagine that you're a single female. And let's actually bring these sliders all the way back down here real quick. Imagine you're a single female and you're willing to get to know somebody. Right? You, you want to start to date. You, you want to find somebody and, and, and get to know them in some way. And so you get invited to a party this weekend. And there at the party, you meet this guy. He is super, super cute. And so you sort of meander across the living room, right? I guess that isn't how a woman's trying to do it. It's going like this, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to try to do my hips or anything here, okay? Uh, so here, here's the deal. You, you go across the living room. There's this cute guy. You strike up a conversation with him. And, you know, one of the first things that you notice about him is that he is really funny, just like your dad is funny. And your dad's a trustworthy guy. So in your mind, you go, you know what? I can trust this guy because he's funny. My dad's funny. Funny people are trustworthy. As you continue on, you find out that he goes to church. You're like, I go to church? So your trust level goes up. At least in your mind, it goes up. And then you find out that Mr. Cutie is actually Dr. Cutie. Dr. Cutie, and you're like, a doctor? Oh, he's a pediatrician. So he's smart, he's good with kids, and he's probably rich. So in your mind, you're thinking smart people, people that are good with kids, people that are rich, they must be really trustworthy. And so you've gotten to know him more and more and more, and in your mind, your trust has really gone up, and you've really hit it off. A couple hours goes by, next thing you know, you're back at his apartment, and you're doing this. You're making out, maybe a lot more. You've jumped right from knowing, right into touching, right into possibly even sex. Why? Because you think that you can trust this guy. 
you took what you thought you knew about him and what you decided to think about him, and you said, this person is trustworthy. But now you're six months into a relationship with Dr. Cutie, and it turns out at best he's a lukewarm Christian, turns out his humor, it's actually pretty dark and it's somewhat perverted. And Dr. Cutie actually got fired from his last practice because, turns out, his sort of bedside manner with kids, he's really harsh to kids. And so he got fired from his job. He actually isn't good with kids. Now do you see where we're at? You went from, no, you're still doing this, but now you don't trust the guy at all. You're certainly not relying on him or want to make a commitment to him, but now you feel trapped in this relationship that you're in. All because you decided to trust him based on what you thought you knew about him, not what you actually knew about him. Again, trust is something that has to be earned Trust isn't something you just automatically give based on, oh, I associate this with a person or that with a person. Study after study has shown that people in dating relationships take a few data points and they put them in the forefront of their minds and they decide that that is like the gospel truth about everything. In science, it's actually called the confirmation bias, that we take things that we already want to believe to be true and we try to find every single, single thing that will support our point. We see this in politics all the time. You take only the points that you want to be true, that's going to support your platform, your party, and you apply it to, okay, yeah, see, there's this and this and this and this. It's a confirmation bias. That's what people do in dating. They latch on to just a couple key data points and decide that, okay, this is the truth. And then they base all of their decisions off of assumptions rather than facts. So we got to be very careful that we're, we're actually seeing the entire picture. Now, I want to actually at this time show you a very, very famous picture. I know you've seen this before, but it, it's probably the best illustration of it. So they're going to put it on the screen right now. And I'm going to ask you, how many of you right now you see a young woman? How many of you see a young woman? All right, some hands are going up. How many of you see an old woman? All right, a couple hands are going up there. Bob's looking, he's going, what? An old woman? This, again, it's a very famous picture that whatever your mind sees first, whether it's the young woman or the old woman, it's very, very hard to see the other one until somebody points it out to you where it is. Now, in case you've never seen this before, look at the, uh, if you're seeing the young woman, it would be her ear is actually the eye of the old woman. Can you see it now? And then the vice versa would be true. If you're seeing the old woman's eye, that's actually the ear of the young woman. Everybody seeing both of them now? You see both of them there? Yeah. But you see how like right away when you see it, you're like, oh, that's a young woman or, ah, that's an old woman. And it's not until somebody points out to you that, hey, there's something different there that you actually then see it. 
And we've got to realize that this same thing happens in our dating relationships. That we latch on to one image of this person and we go, oh, I can trust them because this is what I see. But as I mentioned to you last week, this is why it's so important that while you're dating, man, you have got to have other people speaking into the relationship. Remember that? We, we talked about that. That you have got to allow other people to speak in. Because many of you are, are dating jerks because you've latched on to this one thing and say this person is very, very trustworthy. There's a, a famous example of this from Scripture. How many of you ever heard of Samson and Delilah? You ever heard of Samson and Delilah? Okay, some of you. For those of you that haven't heard of Samson and Delilah, basically what we have here is Samson, who's a prophet of God, and he is like big. He's a big guy. He's like the rock, right? Or JT, right? Whichever one. They're, they're basically all the same. They're interchangeable. <laughs> JT's like, man, give me his bank account, right? <laughs> But I'm, what I'm talking about is big, strong guys, right, that you don't want to mess with. So that's his strength. He's big, strong. He can overpower anybody. His weakness is beautiful women. And Delilah, she was a beautiful woman. And so if you don't know the story, basically what happens is they go right from getting to know each other right to, boom, we're having sex. And so after a very, very passionate night with one another, Delilah, the next morning, rolls over in bed, and she asks him a very interesting question. Look at Judges chapter 16, verse 6. Delilah asked Samson, please tell me the secret to your great strength and how you may be tied up and tortured. Now, I want you to imagine all of a sudden, you know, let's, let's say you're a guy, all right? You're a guy, and you're out on a date with a very, very beautiful woman. If at any time during that date she leans across the dinner table and says to you, please tell me, how could I kill you? Run! <laughs> I mean, warding bells should be going off, sirens, like, just get out of there, psycho alert. You do not keep dating this person. But yet, that's exactly what Samson does. He keeps right on dating her. In fact, four different times she asks him this same question. How could you be tied up and tortured? You would think after the first time he'd have gotten it, and after the second time. But no, what does he do? He keeps on trusting her even though she hasn't earned that right to be trusted. Now, the first three times, she actually sends people in to tie him up and try to torture him. But he breaks free. But yet he still continues to date her. And you're going, Gilbert, this is a crazy story that we read here in Scripture. You're right, it is a crazy story. What in the world is he thinking? But here's what we need to understand. This story still happens today. You've seen it, I've seen it. Maybe you've even done it. Guys, she is super, super hot. And all of your buddies are going, dude, she is like crazy, like loco. Run, run, get away from this. She's terrible for you. You're like, yeah, but she's super hot. So you keep dating her. 
And then six months later, a year later, two years later, you're like, whoa, she was psycho. Why didn't anybody tell me? We did tell you. Or we see this with women all the time, that they're so emotionally bonded to a guy that even though he's abusing her, she still justifies in her mind why she should continue to date this guy. And all the friends are going, no, 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 he's terrible for you. Get away, run, run, run. But yet she still continues to date him. Why do people do this? Well, it's simple. We talked about it last week. It's because your brain shuts off. Remember the research of Dr. Helen Fisher? That what she found is that in the first 12 to 18 months of dating somebody brand new, your mind literally shuts down. They did these brain scans that show all the parts of your mind that are responsible for good decision-making basically shuts off. It just stops working. That's why you'll hear women go, he loves me so much and I can prove it to you. How? Well, he actually broke his parole to come see me. (laughs) No, run! (laughs) Run! You're making bad decisions. So again, as I talked about last week, this is why it's so, so important that in that first 12 to 18 months of you dating somebody brand new, please, please, please have other Christian people, people that love you and care for you, that you allow them to speak into the relationship because there's things that you're not seeing. You're simply not seeing it. And they can speak into it. So remember, trust is not what someone says. It's what is demonstrated to you over time. All right, let's switch gears then. Let me talk to those of you that are married. Ben Franklin once famously said this. He said, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open, but afterwards, half shut. Now, I just talked to the singles about, man, you've got to keep your eyes wide, wide open, right, when it comes to dating. You've got to keep them wide open. But what does he mean here about once you're married, keep your eyes half shut? Well, let me ask those of you that are married a a, a simple question. How many of you would say that there are some, like, habits or some quirks about your spouse that sort of drives you a little bit crazy? Yeah? Lisa, put your hand down. Uh, She didn't actually have her hand up because I'm Mr. No, I'm not. Okay. (laughs) No. There's some, isn't there some things? Now, I'm not talking about big things here. I, I'm, I'm talking about just like little small things. So we're not talking about like adultery or an addiction or they're constantly lying or something like that. I'm talking about just like little small things that they do that just sort of drives you, drives you crazy. We have that, right? Basically what that does is in some ways it, it causes the, the trust level that you have for your spouse that it isn't a lot, but it just sort of, goes down a little bit, doesn't it? It it sort of erodes trust. And so what Franklin is talking about here is that while love is blind during dating is devastating, love being blind once you're married is actually a good thing. That we need to be willing to overlook those little tiny habits and quirks about our spouse and say, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, this really isn't a big deal. But here's my question to you. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on those little small things that cause trust to erode? Or are you focusing on the positive? Dr. Van Epp, 
he says this, you live with two spouses. You live with your spouse in your home and the spouse in your head. That's pretty good, isn't it? Let me say that again. You live with two spouses. You live with your spouse in your home and the spouse in your head. You see, whatever you focus your mind on is going to be what impacts the trust that you have for your spouse and the emotional bond that you have with your spouse. And so do you focus on the fact that, oh, man, he's always working. He's always late getting home. Do you focus on that or do you focus on, wow, he works really hard to be able to provide for our family? Do you focus on the fact that your spouse is like, really, really messy, and there's always things just like laying everywhere around? Or do you focus on, wow, they are so easygoing. They love me so much. They are, somebody's really getting something out of this. (laughs) Wow, the the spirit is working here. (laughs) But no, do do you focus on the fact that they don't easily get angered? Or are you focused on the little small thing? Guys, do you focus on the fact that she's not always in the mood when you're in the mood? Or do you focus on, wow, everybody's getting something out of this today. All right. (laughs) By the way, allow the Holy Spirit to do the works. Elbows being the Holy Spirit. (laughs) No, do you focus on the fact that she's not always in the mood when you're in the mood? Or do you focus on the fact that, you know what? She is a great mother to our children. She's working very, very hard. And of course she's exhausted and not always in the mood when I'm in the mood. You see, it's all about what do we focus on? Are we focusing on the positives or are we focusing on the negatives? If we constantly focus on the negatives, then our trust level is going to continue to go down. So we got to focus on the positives so that they go up. Now you're saying, how in the world do we go about doing that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is often called the, the love chapter of the Bible. This is the one you, you've heard it at weddings, and you know, that love is patient and love is kind, and it continues on. But Paul writes about trust then as well. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Paul writes that love does what? Love always, it always trusts. Some translations say that love always believes. And so that's the question to you here today. Are you always going to believe the best about your spouse, or are you going to believe the worst about your spouse? Because every day you're presented with that choice. And listen, it is very, very easy to assume the worst about your spouse. It's very, very easy to start to nitpick little things, and the trust level goes down. And you know who's very, very happy about the trust level continuing to go down? Satan, right? You got it. Satan is. Because Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Peter, he's writing about spiritual warfare in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And I want you to, to hear this first, but in the context of marriage. Here's what he says. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or we could say he's looking for a marriage to devour. And so Peter says, you have got to stay alert here to what the enemy is trying to do to you. You've got to be on your guard because what the enemy is going to be constantly whispering to you is assume the worst about your spouse. Don't trust your spouse. They're never going to change. They're never going to understand. You married the wrong person. You should just simply get a divorce from this person. Satan is constantly whispering those things to you. 
But you have got to instead be reminded of something that Peter wrote just one chapter earlier when he says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He says, love each other deeply because love does what? Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, in the original Greek, that word there that we translate as covers is better actually translated as the word conceal. Now, a lot of times when we as Christians hear that word conceal, we, we think of that with like a negative connotation, don't we? Because we think that, oh, somebody's concealing something. They're, they're hiding something. They're, they're lying in some way. So we don't want to conceal things. But no, we're, we're supposed to conceal here. And there's times that concealing is good. And I'll prove it to you. Ladies, every morning when you wake up and you put your makeup on, one of the things you put on is a thing called Concealer. concealer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, ladies, for doing that. You're trying to present the very best version of you that can possibly be. And so what are you doing? You, you don't want the world to see you when you first wake up and your hair's going every which way and your eyebrows are all over the place, right? You don't, you don't want people to see the, the, the blemishes that you have on your face and the sleepy bugs that are in your eyes. No, what do you do? You, you clean yourself up and, and you conceal some of those blemishes. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And what Peter is, is writing is that we need to do the same thing in our marriages. Guys, this applies to you as well. Concealer. You got to be willing to conceal the, the blemishes of your spouse. Don't always be picking on them or pointing them out. Because when you do that, that trust level just continues to go down. But if you'll conceal, love covers over a, a multitude of sins. Love covers over a, a multitude of quirks and habits. And when you do that, the trust level for each other continues to go up. All right. Let me uh, switch gears here. Because one of the things that some of you are asking is, what happens when trust has been broken in my marriage? Or trust has been broken in my dating relationship? You know, the, the trust is, has really, really gone down. And maybe this is a big thing. Maybe this is there is an affair or there's an addiction. Maybe, you know, one of the, the, one of the spouses, they secretly ran up a credit card bill and it's like big time. And then the other one finds out about it. And all of a sudden now you got this massive debt that you owe. What happens when trust has been broken like that? Is it possible for trust to be restored? The answer is yes, but it's hard. So let me first of all talk to those of you that maybe your trust was the one that was, was broken. Somebody, your, you know, your dating relationship or your spouse, they did something that, boo, man, the, the trust has gone all the way to zero. What, what do you do about that? Well, let me first of all remind you that there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. They are not the same. Now, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to forgive and forgive quickly. As quickly as possible, you are called to forgive them for breaking your trust. But again, there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. 
Trust is something they have to earn back from you over time. It's a gradual, slow process of coming back. You've forgiven them, but this is going to take some time for this to continue to come up. Does that make sense? All right. Now let me, uh, let me talk to those of you that are uh, uh, the, the one that, that broke trust. And actually, I, I skipped something I wanted to say. There are actually two things I want to say. First, there is no biblical command that says that we have to trust somebody who is tr- untrustworthy. Okay? So if forgiveness is a biblical command, you must forgive this person. But again, trust is something that needs to be earned. And then forgiveness is past-oriented, whereas trust is future-oriented. Does that make sense? You forgive what happened in the past, but in the future, trust has to be earned. All right, switching gears then. Let's talk to the person that, that broke uh, somebody's trust, and you're, you're looking to rebuild it. First of all, did you hear what I just said to the person who you hurt? There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. And I see this all the time when I do marriage counseling is that, you know, it's usually a guy, he's done something really stupid, and he's like, well, you know, she, she just doesn't forgive me. You know, you, you said that you forgive me, but, but by you not doing this or you not doing that, you, you don't forgive me. But again, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. And I, again, I see this all the time, that she is truly forgiven, but what he has not figured out is that No, you have to earn that trust back. You broke the trust, and now it has to be earned back. And what you need to realize as the person who broke somebody's trust is that trust is earned on your spouse's timeline, not on yours. They get to dictate how fast this trust is going to come back. You have no say. You lost your say when you did whatever stupid thing that you did. So you got to earn it back. And it may be slow. Here's the other thing. If you've broken somebody's trust, you've got to be willing to change. Remember earlier we, we looked at what Paul wrote about sacrificial humility? You've got to be willing to humble yourself and say, I messed up and now I'm willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to make this relationship right. I'll do whatever it takes to earn your trust back. So here's the thing. If your spouse says, I want all your passwords, I want access to your phone at any time, I want to have location tracking put on you, you know, whatever it is that they're asking for, you've got to be willing to give that. And don't play the, oh, you don't trust me card. No, they don't trust you. You lost that right. And so whatever it is, they want access to your social media accounts. You've got to be willing to give that to them. Going, I'm not doing that. Uh, you know, they just got to trust me. No, they don't just have to trust you. Again, you lost trust. You've got to earn it back, and so now there needs to be some restrictions. Think of it this way. Uh, yesterday, actually, it was 38 years since my major football injury I had where I broke my leg and was laid up in the hospital for a month and then a full body cast for a couple months after that. 
Full body cast. Talk about restriction. Literally, I couldn't like do anything for months. Why? Because that was the best way to bring healing. You can't have a major break of like, say your arm. You can't break your arm and then go, I don't need a, a cast for healing. I'm just going to continue to flop my arm all over the place and do whatever I want. Okay, you can do that, but guess what? Healing is not going to come. The reason that doctors put you in a cast is so that that restriction will help to aid in the healing process. And so it's the same way in your marriage. If you've done something that's broken trust, restrictions must come in order to bring healing. And again, your spouse gets to dictate what that looks like. You don't. As I wrap up then today, let me just remind you singles that words are greater, or uh, I should say actions are greater than words. And it's not about what you think about somebody that really matters. It's what they've actually demonstrated to you that tells you whether you can trust them or not. And again, singles. First 12 to 18 months of dating somebody, your brain has shut off, so make sure you have somebody in your life that's speaking into your relationship because they can see things that you can't. And then for married couples, don't sweat the small stuff. Look for the positives in your spouse, not the negatives. Concentrate on those things, and your trust levels will go up, which then helps everything else to go up as well. If trust has been broken, remember, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Huge difference. And this whole rebuilding of trust is based on the timeline and sort of the guidelines that the person who's been hurt gets to set. But if we'll do each of these things, if we'll truly work on this as both uh, dating relationships and our marriage, you know, Continue to communicate. Continue to, to learn how to trust. And that goes a long way in the three things that we'll be talking about over the next three weeks. How do I rely more on my spouse? How do I commit more to my spouse? What does touch look like in a marriage relationship? How do I know that I can rely on this person I'm dating? How can I know whether I should commit to them in marriage? And then we'll talk about, you know, again, what appropriate touch should look like, and then the, the, the joy that God gives of sex within a marriage relationship. All right? So we're taking it one week at a time. So again, I want to encourage you, be here for each and every week of this particular series. You need to hear all five of the messages for it to really make sense. And don't make up your mind about this series until you've heard all five. You need to hear it all because once you hear all of it, you're going, oh, wow, okay. Now I see it, that God's way is always the best. He has given us this progression for a reason. And so I'm not going to do it the world's way anymore. I'm going to do it God's way because God always knows what's best for me. If we'll date God's way and we'll do our marriages God's way, we will take our relationships to that next level of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather together again today on this very cold and rainy day here on the East Coast. And uh, Lord, thank you for those that have shown up. Thank you for those that have tuned in online. I just pray that, Lord, something that I've said here today has um, 
impacted them, that your spirit has been speaking, and that it'll help to modify how we date. It'll help to modify our, our marriage relationships so that we can go to that next level. And so, Lord, whatever the next step is that you're asking people to take here today, I pray that they would take it. And, Lord, I pray that they would then take a, a next step by coming back next week and being a part of the series so that they continue to, to hear the wisdom that is found in your word. Lord, thank you for just great thinkers like Dr. John Van Epp who helps us to just sort of conceptualize what this can look like. And so I just, again, pray that uh, you would help us to, to take these principles and apply them to our lives, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers as well. I pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.